All right, we are in Romans chapter 1, and we're going to be looking at a large passage this morning, verses 18 through 32. How many of you enjoy watching uh, television or movies that uh, involve a courtroom scene? Do you guys like that sort of prosecutorial uh, style of TV? And it's, it's interesting watching these kind of dramas. Um, in the first chapters of Romans, we have what appears to be a courtroom drama. And as a matter of fact, back when we first started Calvary Bible Chapel, uh, one of the first series we did was on the book of Romans, and um, I acted out the part of the judge and jury and prosecuting attorney. Uh, my acting skills have not improved since then, but I will try to portray to you this morning what is going on in this passage uh, from the standpoint as, as if we were entering into a courtroom drama. So the bailiff calls out, this is actually not in the scripture, order in court, and he announces the case like he does in every court case. Um, in this case, it is the case of God versus the heathen. The accused, or the, the heathen, sometimes known as the defendant, <clears throat> is accused of knowing God, but refusing to honor, glorify, and thank God for all he is and for all he has done for them. The accused are guilty of turning from the purpose for which God made them. Do you know that we were all made in the image and likeness of God? We were made for his glory. And if we do not fulfill what, the purpose for which God made us, we have failed. And so that is true of the, the heathen. But it's not just that they didn't know. They willfully chose to rebel against God. And we're going to see that uh, from this scripture. The judge is seated. The presiding judge in this case is Jesus. The Bible tells us that uh, Isaiah has a four picture of him in Isaiah 6, where he said, I saw the Lord sitting on a throne, high and lifted up, and the train of his robe filled the temple. This is like a foretaste, Romans is like a foretaste of what is going to happen at the great white throne judgment, where God calls all mankind before him and judges them for their sin. And we see that in Revelation chapter 20, verses 11 and 12. <clears throat> then I saw a great white throne, and him who sat on it, from whose face the earth and the heaven fled away, and there was found no place for them. And I saw the dead, small and great, standing before God, and the books were opened. And another book was opened, which is the book of life. And the dead were judged according to their works by the things which were written in the books. Revelation 6.17 says, For the great day of his wrath has come, and who is able to stand? In our chapter here, the prosecuting attorney is the Apostle Paul. He calls witnesses into this scene, into this courtroom, to testify against the human race. The trial is not a trial, a jury trial. We're more familiar with jury trials. 
And the reason that this is a bench trial instead of a jury trial is because there is no possible juror who could take the place of a jury and listen to a case without accusing themselves. Every juror is guilty the same as the accused because the jurors are also accused of wrongdoing uh, before the Lord. And the Bible says there is no creature hidden from his sight, but all things are naked and open to the eyes of him to whom we must give account. So, again, like I said, my acting skills are not good, but I will try to indicate whose part I am playing as we go through this. Right now, this is the Apostle Paul, the prosecuting attorney. In a court case, the prosecuting attorney often gives an opening statement. And the opening statement tells the judge and tells the jury, again, no jury here, but tells those in the courtroom what the case is about and what he's going to prove and why the person that is being accused is guilty of the crimes that he has committed. And so this is Paul. I will show the world's heathen, pagan, and unsaved I'm sorry, I will show that the world's heathen, pagan, and unsaved population began with the knowledge of God, had the opportunity to know God personally, and yet refused to honor him by repenting from their sins and giving him glory and thanks. I will show that God is justified in giving them over to their foolish ways and to eternal destruction. My opening statement is found in Romans 1.18. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who suppress the truth in unrighteousness. Some may ask, is it fair for God to punish the heathen, to punish those who have never heard the gospel? What about the heathen in Africa or Asia or Europe? What about the Eastern idolater? What about the animist tribes scattered on the island nations? What about those who are involved in cults and sects? What about every North American who claims to be enlightened and yet has rejected the truth? Is it fair that they should be punished? The charges that we are bringing against them this morning is that they, they suppress the truth of God, they suppress the truth about God, or they prevent it from being known by others. Second, they ignore the inner witness that God has given them, their conscience. Third, they ignore the outer witness from God as revealed in the natural creation. And fourth, they ignore the lessons of history where God demonstrated his justice when he destroyed ungodly sinners. And so I call to the stand this morning my first witness, the accused. I call the accused before the court today. So now I am the accused. Paul says, first of all, the Lord is God. He is the only true God. Have you loved the Lord your God with all your heart, your mind, your soul, your strength? 
Do you believe God made you and the world around you? As the accused, I say, no. I don't believe in God. I believe in evolution. Paul asked, do you believe in God's existence? And if not, why not? Accused. Well, some of my relatives say, there is no God. Others say, you really can't be sure. And I don't even think about the possibility because I want to run my own life. And I don't want anyone interfering with my lifestyle choices. I don't want any moral standard to restrict what I do. I want to pick and choose what I believe and how I live. The prosecuting attorney says, do you worship or serve anything or anyone? The accused. Well, some of my ancestors, they pray to idols. Others call on spirits. Others have made men and women, sports stars and, and uh, actors and actresses their idols, while others embrace Mother Earth. But I have chosen to follow my own way, and I have chosen to, to pursue material things. Money is everything to me. The American dream, they call it. I can't get enough of it, and I would sell my soul for more of it. The U.S. dollar has printed on it a misspelling on every single bill. It says, in God we trust. It should say, in gold we trust. There's a spelling error. Gold, money, that gets me up in the morning. That's what life is all about. The prosecuting attorney, do you eat daily from the bounty of God's provision? Are you well fed and clothed? Do you have a roof over your head? Have you enjoyed the sun and the rain? Because God makes his sun rise on the evil and the good, and he sends rain on the just and on the unjust. Have you ever stopped and just thanked God for what he's given you? Have you thanked him for each breath he gives you? Have you praised him for measuring out your heartbeats one at a time? No, I haven't done that. I'm a self-made man. I honor myself and I freely boast my power and the might of my hand have gained me this wealth. That's a direct quote from scripture, by the way. The attor prosecuting attorney, God has given you light about his existence, yet you have chosen darkness. Why do you censor the truth? You have taken the approach of the current cancel culture and you have canceled God. Why? The accused. I don't believe in absolute morals. I am more enlightened than that. I do not come to God because I want, to make free, I want to be free to make my own life choices, and I don't want God reigning on my parade. The prosecuting attorney says, by your own admission then, you knew God, but you rejected him. 
You received good things from his hand, but you never thanked him. And you canceled God, meaning you disapproved of him. So God disapproves of you and your choices. No further questions. I call conscience as my next witness to the stand. Prosecuting attorney, I understand that God made you and gave you as an inner witness to the accused. Is it your duty to teach right from wrong and that there are fixed moral values that every person should follow? Do you teach that you should treat others how you wish to be treated? Do you teach that there are moral absolutes? Do you teach humanity to love others and that it is wrong to curse, lie, cheat, steal, commit adultery, murder, and the like? And did you fulfill your duty, conscience? Yes, I am conscience. And yes, I fulfilled my duty to every human being that has ever lived and is living currently on the planet. Verse 19 of Romans 1 says, Because what may be known of God is manifest in them, for God has shown it to them. You see, God wrote his moral laws on the hearts of every person. So they do know the truth about God. And I monitor their thoughts and behaviors, and I teach them right from wrong. For instance, even a baby knows it is wrong when somebody takes his pacifier from him and he cries. A man who steals knows that it is wrong for someone else to steal from him. A man who commits adultery would be outraged if another man committed adultery with his wife. People instinctively know that it is pure evil for a shooter to enter an elementary school and massacre 19 students and two teachers as he did this week. People are outraged. That is because I'm doing my work and I am convicting their conscience of right and wrong. Just as God gave man nerves in his body to signal pain, so God gave a conscience to every man, woman, and child to signal right or wrong behaviors, words, and actions. It is my job as their conscience to make it obvious what sin is. Parents, teachers, and instructors may make my job more effective by, reinforce, by reinforcing that moral code or that moral law, but my voice actually becomes quieter and quieter and quieter if a person chooses not to listen to me. And if he disregards what I'm telling him, his conscience becomes dull and even seared like a hot iron. My purpose is to awaken a person's conscience so they will turn to God to forgive their sin. Did humanity know the truth about God? Yes, they did. For example, go back in history to Lamech. Who was Lamech? Lamech was Noah's father. Lamech actually lived during the time when Adam was alive for 50 years. At the end of uh, 
Adam's life. Noah, uh, I mean, Lamech was, was still living. He was a contemporary of Adam for 50 years. People knew about God because Adam and Eve and other men and women of faith spoke about God from the beginning of time. And it was during this time that God tested man under the dispensation of conscience, and man failed the test miserably. The Bible says, Then the Lord saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth, and that every intent of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. People seared their conscience by sin, and as a result, God's wrath was poured out upon the earth in Noah's day by a worldwide flood. I am man's inner witness about God. What Blaise Pascal said is true. There is a God-shaped vacuum in the heart of every man which cannot be satisfied by any created thing, but only by God the Creator made known through Jesus Christ. The purpose is to show all people their sin, but to show them their need of a Savior. As much as I try to warn man and steer him clear of evil, I conclude that man's heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. Who can know it? A prosecuting attorney, no further questions. I now call the witness of creation to the stand. The prosecuting attorney says, for the record... What is your name, and who are you? I am creation. I am the handiwork of God. It is true that in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. God spoke the word, and the worlds came into being. God who made the world and everything in it, he is the Lord of heaven and earth. People see the unseen God through creation. In Romans 1.20, we read, For since the creation of the world, his invisible attributes are clearly seen, being understood by the things that are made, even his eternal power and Godhead, so that they are without excuse. The psalmist wrote, The heavens declare the glory of God. The firmament shows his handiwork. Day unto day utters speech, and night unto night reveals knowledge. There is no speech nor language where their voice is not heard. Their line has gone out through all the earth, and their words to the end of the world. In them he has set a tabernacle for the sun. So it doesn't matter where a person is born. It doesn't matter the culture in which he's raised or the language that he's taught. Every nation and every person has heard my voice. I am the most obvious revelation that God exists for everyone who has eyes to see. No one can plead ignorance, for I am everywhere. I show that God exists, and I demonstrate his divinity and power. They have no excuse for not knowing God. I speak of order and design. I tell of God's greatness and majesty. The more man studies the vastness of the universe, the more he sees the power and infiniteness of God. The more man explores the genetic code, the more he sees God's wisdom and design. 
As God's creation, I show that God exists. I appeal to all of man's senses, from sight to sound, touch, smell, and taste, and I show that God exists and and that man is made to worship him. God's invisible attributes are clearly shown through me, his creation. The succession of seasons, the sun's rising and its setting at the end of the day. The water cycle, the abundance of animals and plants tell the wonders of his creation and testify to the divine mind and his incredible power. You see, creation demands a a creator. Design demands a designer. As I said, there is no excuse for not knowing God. I demonstrate the wisdom and the power of God every time man plants a seed and it produces a thousand more seed after its kind. I show the greatness of God when mighty oaks from little acorns grow. When man questions God, God questions man. Isaiah 48, 13 says, Indeed, my hand has laid the foundation of the earth, and my right hand has stretched out the heavens. When I call them, they stand up together. And in Job, he asks Job these questions. Where were you when I laid the foundation of the earth? Tell me if you have understanding. Who determined its measurements? Surely you know. Who stretched the line upon it? To what were the foundations fastened or who laid its cornerstone? Who told the proud ocean waves to stop at the seashore? What man has commanded the morning to come or the sun to set? Who causes the clouds to gather fresh water from the salt sea and stretch out over the land to water it? Who guides the thunderbolt in its path? Who causes the grass to sprout and to grow? Who causes the winds to blow? Who causes the raging sea or the glass-like surface in its calm state? Who fixed the planets and the stars, the solar systems, the galaxies in their place and in their order? Who feeds daily trillions of living things around the world? Tell me, O man, if you know. I have demonstrated that God exists and he should be worshiped and he should be thanked for all that he has done and all that he has provided. Romans 1.21 says, yes, they knew God, but they wouldn't worship him as God or even give him thanks. And they began to think up foolish ideas of what God was like. As a result, their minds became dark and confused prosecuting attorney. No further questions. I call history to the stand. Can you tell the court about the downward decline of humanity? And history speaks and says, yes, my name is history. God created Adam and Eve, and they knew God and walked with him in the cool of the day. As soon as they sin." They now knew good and evil. And Adam and Eve fell into sin, and their sin nature was inherited by their children. 
Their son Cain was the first idolater and the first murderer. He tried to please God his own way, and God rejected his offering, and his mind and heart became dark and confused, and within uh, days he killed his brother, who was accepted by God. Within a thousand years from that time, human um, wickedness was rampant on the earth. Then the Lord saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth, and that every intent of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. And the Lord was sorry that he made man on the earth, and he was grieved in his heart. So the Lord said, I will destroy man whom I have created from the face of the earth, both man and beast, creeping thing and birds of the air, for I am sorry that I have made them. They gave up God, and God gave them up to destruction. But God did save Noah and his family. But soon the following generations quickly turned to idolatry and wickedness. And in Romans 1, and 23, it says, Professing to be wise, they became fools and changed the glory of the incorruptible God into an image made like corruptible man and birds and four-footed animals and creeping things. About four centuries after the flood, there was a time when people enjoyed the abundant blessing and well-watered plain of Jordan. But then they turned from God and turned to wickedness. The men of Sodom were exceedingly wicked and sinful against the Lord. And it was because they abandoned God that God abandoned them. In Romans 1, 24 and 20 to 27, we read this. So God abandoned them to do whatever shameful things their hearts desired. As a result, they did vile and degrading things with each other's bodies. They traded the truth about God for the lie. So they worshiped and served the things God created instead of the creator himself, who is worthy of eternal praise. Amen. That is why God abandoned them to their shameful desires. Even the women turned against the natural way to have sex and instead indulged in sex with each other. And the men, instead of having normal sexual relations with women, burned with lust for each other. Men did shameful things with other men. And as a result of this sin, they suffered within themselves the penalty they deserved. They were not born this way. They chose to give up all morals and natural affection. And in their hatred for God, they rebelled against him and against the way he made them. They defied God's plan and burned with desire for homosexual sin. The word sodomy, by the way, comes from the town of Sodom. That's where we get the word sodomy from. And, and they burned with desire for sexual, homosexual sin, and God burned them up in a firestorm. It says in Genesis 19, verse 24, Then the Lord rained brimstone and fire on Sodom and Gomorrah from the Lord out of the heavens. And even though God demonstrated his great displeasure for such sin, mankind has foolishly continued to destroy 
um, themselves with this sin. Recent history shows that man continues to cancel God, and we see the results of God's righteous judgment in our own current society. Here are just a few ways man has abandoned God and how God has abandoned mankind to reap the consequences of their ways. We often look at society and we say, look at all the evil around us. How is this possible? What happened? Man abandoned God. God is abandoning man. That's what's happening. That is what we're seeing before our eyes. And even, verse uh, 28 through 31, and even as they did not like to retain God in their knowledge, God gave them over to a debased mind to do the things which are not fitting, being filled with all unrighteousness, sexual immorality, wickedness, covetousness, maliciousness, full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, evil-mindedness, they are whisperers, backbiters, haters of God, violent, proud, boasters, inventors of evil things, disobedient to parents, undiscerning, untrustworthy, unloving, unforgiving, unmerciful. The prosecuting attorney comes forward and says, history, you have taught us valuable lessons from the past, and you've shown us how the choices people make uh, have brought us to where we are today in our society and in our world. No further questions. At the end of a trial, a prosecutor tries to gather all of the evidence that he has presented, and he makes one final appeal. And he usually uh, highlights or points out the, the main points of his arguments in the court trial. And so we have the prosecutor's closing statement in verse 32. We'll read that in just a minute. He would say something like this. We have concluded that although man knew God, he abandoned God in favor of sin. Man cannot claim ignorance or innocence since God gave every man a conscience to stop him in his sin. God also provided the clear testimony of his existence through his creation. And man has enjoyed the benefits of his creation, yet he has not acknowledged God nor given him thanks. People have also um, case studies from, or we have case studies from history showing God's wrath poured out upon ungodly sinners and yet man has continued to ignore the warnings and run headlong into sin. Mankind knows that God is just and that his justice requires punishment for sins. Still man has developed an insatiable desire for sin and has become militant in his defense and promotion of his sinful lifestyle. In conclusion... Verse 32, I speak about mankind who, knowing the righteous judgment of God and that those who practice such things are deserving of death, not only do the same, but also approve of those who practice them. All have sinned 
and come short of the glory of God. Apart from Jesus Christ, man has never measured up to God's glorious standard of righteousness. Romans chapter 1 is simply a foretaste of what is to come, still future, the great white throne judgment. Let me read it again, but with more verses. Then I saw a great white throne, and him who sat on it, from whose face the earth and the heaven fled away, and there was found no place for them. And I saw the dead, small and great, standing before God, and the books were opened. And another book was opened, which is the book of life. And the dead were judged according to their works by the things which were written in the books. The sea gave up the dead who were in it. Death and Hades delivered up the dead who were in them. And they were judged, each man, each one according to his works. Then death and Hades were cast into the lake of fire. This is the second death. That is, it's an eternal death. And anyone not found written in the book of life was cast into the lake of fire. Is your name written in the book of life? The courtroom scene finishes with the whole world guilty before God and deserving eternal punishment in the lake of fire. But remember that before we came to the great white throne judgment, even to this day, we're not there yet. And God's, God extends his mercy and his grace to you and to the whole world, even to this day. It is through the message of the gospel that Paul said, I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God unto salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also for the Greek. If you want to be saved from everlasting condemnation, from the eternal fires of the lake of fire, then the gospel message is for you. That Jesus died on the cross for your sins. He paid sin's awful penalty for you. He was buried and he rose again the third day for your justification. That he could declare you righteous in his sight and welcome you into his presence for all eternity. I want to remind you that this gospel message is limited. It is limited to the time right now when you're alive. Today is the day of salvation. We have no guarantee of tomorrow. He died that we might not perish, but have everlasting life. And that is freely given to all who repent of their sins and believe in him. Is it possible for sinners as wicked as we've talked about to be saved? Is it possible for an idolater to be saved? Is it possible for a homosexual to be saved? Is it possible for a murderer to be saved? Is it possible for any sinner to be saved? Paul says in 1 Corinthians, Do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived. Neither fornicators, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor homosexual, nor sodomites, nor thieves, nor covetous, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor extortioners will inherit the kingdom of God. And such were some of you. But you were washed, you were sanctified, 
You were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus and by the Spirit of God. And how did that happen? It happened because of what Jesus did on the cross. And when you believed by faith in Him, trusted Him for your Savior, He forgave your sins. And He he washed you, sanctified you, and justified you. Praise His name. The gospel goes out to you and to everyone who hears my voice. Today is the day of salvation. Let's pray. Lord, as we look at the mess that we're in, it is because of our own sin. It is because we rejected you. It is because we turned from you and chose to go our own way. All we like sheep have gone astray. We've turned everyone to his own way. But you, Lord, laid on him, the Lord Jesus, the iniquity of us all. He was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. And the chastisement for our peace was upon him. And by his stripes, we are healed. Lord, if there's anyone who does not know you yet, let them come to you humbly and in repentance this morning, trusting you as their only Lord and Savior. Forgive their sins. Cleanse them from all unrighteousness. Forgive their sin. Sanctify them. Justify them. In your name we pray, Lord Jesus. Amen.